today, everyone. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. And welcome to the first bonus episode. As I said in the previous full episode, these bonus episodes will be on the people or events that don't really have enough detail to fill out a full episode, but are still vital snippets of our military history. So without further ado, gilding the lily or mountains of unnecessary and frustrating polywaffle, here we go. If there's one bloke whose individual action had the greatest contribution to the defence of Australia, a very strong argument could be made in favour of Private Bruce Kingsbury. Well may you say that's a big call, and what did he do that puts him in contention? Well, before I answer that, I'll give you a bit of background to the man himself. Bruce Steele Kingsbury was born on 8th of January 1918 in the Melbourne suburb of Preston and grew up in Prairan. His best mate, since he was five years old, was Alan Avery, and in 1936 they decided to leave Melbourne for a bit of an adventure. Working their way across Western Victoria and New South Wales, they eventually arrived in Sydney before heading back to Melbourne several months later. It appears both men were very keen in not living a normal humdrum sort of a life. They returned to their respective employments until, in 1940, the Second World War interrupted. Always keen for a bit of adventure, both Avery and Kingsbury coincidentally joined up on the 29th of May 1940, but at separate locations, unaware that the other was joining up as well. Kingsbury was assigned to the 2nd 2nd Pioneer Battalion, and Avery was sent to the 2nd 14th Infantry Battalion. Noticing the Army's egregious error, Kingsbury applied for a transfer, and soon both men were in 7th Section of 9th Platoon and training together at Puckapunyal. The 2nd 14th was part of the 7th Division and in late 1940 they set sail for the Middle East. After a short stay in Mersa Matru, the 7th was sent to Syria and Lebanon to fight the Vichy French. During the Battle of Jezine, Avery was wounded and awarded the military medal for cool courage and devotion. His wound wasn't overly serious, merely some mental splinters in his spine. As I said, not serious. But by the time the Allies had triumphed over the Vichy forces, a much greater threat to Australia was looming. The Japanese had entered the war. The 7th was pulled back to Australia and underwent training in Glen Innes and then Yandina in Queensland before being sent to Brisbane on the 5th of August to board a ship to Port Moresby. A race against time now commenced. We've covered the events transpiring in New Guinea at this point in episode 14 of the podcast, but I'll provide a brief summary here for context. The Japanese had landed a force on the north of New Guinea with the intention of forcing a path overland to capture Port Moresby. With the AOF divisions still making their way back to and training in Australia, the responsibility for meeting the Japanese fell on a couple of militia battalions, the 39th and the 53rd. The 39th was sent to hold the important village of Kokoda. It had an airfield which would be vital for landing supplies to support the campaign. The first battle of Kokoda was a hard-fought brawl in which the 39th acquitted themselves well, but they were only militia, poorly equipped and partly trained, and they were never going to hold back the battle-hardened and experienced men of the Japanese army. They held on for as long as possible before falling back. They attempted to retake the village, but were held off. They began the withdrawal to the next suitable defensive position, Isurava. While the 39th was falling back and then digging in at Isurava, the 2nd 14th and the 2nd 16th battalions were struggling their way forward across the Owen Stanley Range towards Isurava. The outcome of the New Guinea campaign very much depended on who was going to reach Isurava first, the Japanese or the AIF. Fortunately, the 2nd 14th arrived only a matter of hours before the Japanese, not really enough time to organise a sound defensive strategy. 
The 39th, who had been fighting for weeks, were just about worn out and would have been forgiven for deciding to fall back and leave the 2nd 14th to it. That was actually what was supposed to happen, but they elected to stay at least until the 2nd 14th had established themselves. But then the Japanese arrived and both battalions were in the thick of it. In a couple of months' time, I'll be releasing a full episode on the events at Isirava and the subsequent battles, so I won't go into too much detail here. But I will just set the scene for what Kingsbury is about to do and the importance thereof. As I said, the 2nd 14th had only just arrived at Isirava a couple of hours before the Japanese attacked. The defensive position was fragile, and if the Japanese were able to overwhelm the defenders, then the way to Port Morphy would be well and truly open to them. The Japanese attacked on the 20th of August, and after hard and confused fighting, the attacking force was held. On the following day, an attack was launched on a sidetrack, which was met by the 2nd 16th Battalion at Abwari. This attack was also held, but it was believed it was more of a diversion to make the Australian commanders think that they were attempting to outflank Kisaraba. They were proved correct, and the Japanese again attacked the main position in strength. On the right side of the position, Lieutenant Cox led his platoon, including Avery and Kingsbury, forward to help stabilise the position of Buckler's company. Cox was killed during the move, and most of his platoon were hit. Avery and Kingsbury were both unscathed, but there wasn't much they could do at that point. The Japanese continued their attack, and Lieutenant Boddington and four men were killed and their position was not far from folding. If the perimeter broke, the Japanese would have a direct line of advance into the centre of the Isirava position. Things were grim. Sergeant Thompson of Headquarters Company led more men to the position and Corporal Bear, Avery and Kingsbury insisted on joining them and got back into the fight. The Japanese were gathering for what would likely be their strongest push, which would surely succeed. A counter-attack under Lieutenant Clement was the only chance of stabilising the situation. The attack went in under so much fire that the undergrowth was destroyed within minutes. During the fight, Corporal Bear was wounded and dropped his Bren gun. Kingsbury, supported by Avery, picked up the gun and in the words of Lieutenant Colonel Phil Roden, quote, You could see his Bren gun held out and his big bottom swaying as he went with the momentum he was getting up, followed by Alan Avery. They were cheerful. They were going out on a picnic almost. End quote. Avery later said of the action, quote, He came forward with his Bren and he just mowed them down. He was an inspiration to everybody else around him. There were clumps of Japs here and there, and he just mowed them down. End quote. But probably the best way to describe his actions is this. Quote, in New Guinea, the battalion to which Private Kingsbury belonged had been holding a position in the Isirava area for two days against continuous and fierce enemy attacks. On the 29th of August, 1942, the enemy attacked in such force that they succeeded in breaking through the battalion's right flank, creating a serious threat both to the rest of the battalion and to its headquarters. To avoid the situation becoming more desperate, it was essential to regain immediately the lost ground on the right flank. Private Kingsbury, who was one of the few survivors of a platoon which had been overrun and severely cut about by the enemy, immediately volunteered to join a different platoon which had been ordered to counterattack. He rushed forward, firing his Bren gun from the hip through terrific machine gun fire and succeeded in clearing a path through the enemy. Continuing to sweep the enemy positions with his fire and inflicting an extremely high number of casualties on them, Private Kingsbury was then seen to fall to the ground, shot dead, by the bullet from a sniper hiding in the wood. Private Kingsbury displayed a complete disregard for his own safety. His initiative and superb courage made possible the recapture of the position, which undoubtedly saved battalion headquarters, as well as causing heavy casualties amongst the enemy. His coolness, determination and devotion to duty in the face of great odds was an inspiration to his comrades. End quote. As you've probably guessed, that quote is a citation recommending Kingsbury for the Victoria Cross. You'll also notice that shortly after almost single-handedly breaking up the Japanese attack before it began, he was shot and killed by a sniper. 
So why did I open this episode by saying that Kingsbury's individual action was probably the one which had the greatest impact on Australia's security? Well, as his citation mentioned, he undoubtedly saved battalion headquarters. If he hadn't, the position at Ishirava was likely to have folded and the Japanese could regain their momentum and push on down the Kokoda track and be in Port Moresby within a week or so. As it was, the Battle of Ishirava continued for another vital three days, delaying the Japanese and inflicting heavy casualties. The Japanese eventually took Ishirava, but the delay meant that by the time the two sides met again in pitched battle, the AIF had been reinforced by fresh battalions and the subsequent fighting at Brigade Hill again delayed the Japanese. Then, with Port Moresby in sight, the Japanese were too weak to achieve their final objective and the long push back to Kokoda commenced. Without Private Kingsbury, the outcome would have been horribly different. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.